All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to talk about now the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, we just watched a game between them, game five of this series, and not really surprised that it went the way that it did. I think the Celtics are starting to figure out a little bit about who they are, starting to figure out a little bit about, hey, uh, what's what's going down? Like what's what's going down with the Celtics right now? So should be very interesting to see uh, what all it happens in the rest of this series. But I'm going to share my preliminary thoughts on each of these teams, given that Denver's going to face one of them in the NBA Finals. We'll just have to see who that is. Uh, but looking forward to it for sure. Uh, happy to see everybody in the chat. Thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. Uh, got a lot of stuff on the docket over the course of these next few weeks. Um, this next week in particular, in between when game one starts and not. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk with Jenna Garcia. And we're going to talk about Carmelo, uh, talk with Jenna Garcia. We're going to talk about Carmelo Anthony. Uh, that should be very interesting. Carmelo is one of her favorite players and thought she would be a good person to discuss Mello with. And given that I haven't really been able to talk about Mello retiring and what that means for the Nuggets franchise. And uh, we'll, we'll be able to touch on that as well as some general Celtics heat stuff. And then Denver's got a media availability tomorrow. So have plenty of stuff to talk about for sure. Uh, and then Saturday weekends with Swipe, will be at 11 a.m. So if you are interested in, in hanging out over the weekend, obviously Swipe and I didn't do an episode last week. Uh, we will do one this week for sure. And that, that's going to be at 11 a.m. on Saturday, Mountain Time. So make sure to tune in if you are so inclined. Uh, but now let's get into Celtics Heat. Final score of this one didn't really matter because it wasn't really close. It was 110 to 97, though that is a little bit disingenuous because I think that the Celtics, like they, they were crushing it at various points. They were up 22 points, 24 points at various points in the fourth quarter. Rested or not even rested there. I think right at the end, Miami went on a big run, but it felt like Boston was just in control the entire time. At the beginning of this game, they went up about 15 points. I think it was 20 to five, if I'm not mistaken, at the very beginning of this game. And there were times where Miami kind of cut down the lead a little bit, but Boston always responded with a run. Boston always, always found a way. And that's just kind of what good teams do. Uh, Jason Tatum had 11 assists in this game for Boston, and I think he's at his best when he's actually seeing the floor. Now, Boston has to make their shots, and they went 16 of 39 from three. Derek White went 6 of 8 from three. Marcus Smart, 4 of 6. Jalen Brown, 3 of 5. Kind of like Denver, Boston is an elite shooting team. When they are on, they are really, really hard to beat. I think StatMuse had the stat uh, that this season, regular season and playoffs, the Celtics are 38-2 and two when they shoot above 40% from three in a game. The fact that they've done it 40 times, I think, says a lot. It says a lot about their quality of shooting. They also take a lot of threes in general. They are one of the highest three-point shooting frequency teams in the NBA. So when they get up shots and they make a lot of shots, they can be pretty hard to stop. Tonight, they also kind of stopped making a bunch of dumb decisions. Tatum had four turnovers, but he matched it with 11 assists. That's a perfectly reasonable ratio. And the rest of the team had five total. So they had they had nine turnovers as a team. Uh, Miami had 16. 
And that allowed Boston to get out on the break. It allowed them to get some easy points, pile up some big runs. And that's just kind of what happens when you're facing a team that's got their back against the wall at home. Their crowd, I think, really got into it. And that, to me, is a a big difference maker between the Heat and the Celtics, is that the Heat, their crowd is fine. The Celtics crowd can be elite. It really can be. When, When that crowd starts rolling... They are like they're rowdy, rambunctious, say a lot of crap. Like that's that's just what Celtics and, and Boston culture is. It's it's a great sports town. And it's tough to say that as a as a former Broncos fan and, and somebody that doesn't like to see the uh, New England market be very successful, but there it is. Like that's just that's just kind of how it works. Um but it does feel to me like Boston has really taken some momentum in this series. They've found out some things that work. They are navigating the Miami Heat zone a little bit better. There are definitely stretches where they just take a whole bunch of jump shots against the Heat zone and don't really drive the lanes, don't really create easier shots for themselves. But they are generating a lot of open threes with with some of these shots. And and that, to me, makes them a little bit more dangerous than a team like Miami. I'll talk about that in just a second. But I'm impressed with Jason Tatum's ability to bounce back a little bit. Uh, he had 21, 11 assists, 8 rebounds, 8 of 16. Some of the three-pointers that he was taking were dumb. I'm not going to lie. They were really stupid. Uh, but when he was the only one that kind of was taking dumb threes and the rest of the team was making the good rhythm shots, the good off-the-dribble shots that make more sense, then they they can uh, kind of stomach that. They, that's not the most important thing for them. But Marcus Smart puts up 23 points. Derek White puts up 24. Jalen Brown has 21. You've got four guys above 20 points. And they have enough depth and versatility and star power that they can have those kinds of performances. And that, to me, makes them, like, it's, it's just a little bit more dangerous. Not to mention when you've got, like, Grant Williams is now finally playing again. Robert Williams is playing a little bit too, but he wasn't as prevalent as, as Grant Williams was in the game tonight against a, a smaller Heat team. It does feel like they've got a big man rotation that Jokic will have to figure out. He can figure out. There's no doubt in my mind, but it, it will it will take a little bit of a process, and there will be some cat and mouse game with that for sure. But I do think that the way that those teams are playing against each other, the way that those teams are kind of battling right now, no matter who actually comes out of this, this has been a war. Like. The Celtics, they basically took game three off and and looked like they were going to shut it down and then came back in game four on the road and made this a series again and then do it again in game five. And you suddenly start to see the, the snowball rolling downhill a little bit where it starts building up a little bit more snow, packing up a little bit more momentum, and it feels like they could at least do a something or other. I'm not sure if Boston's actually going to win it's much more likely still than Miami Heat that that they actually they actually get it done, it, even if it's by accident. They just need to make a whole bunch of shots in a game, and they're capable of that. Like there's no doubt. Jimmy Butler has not been great in each of these last few games. Like Jimmy tonight, 14 points on five of ten from the field, 34 minutes, and just wasn't really impactful or like like taking over in those moments. Now, to me, that feels kind of calculated, kind of like how LeBron would save up his energy in a game five on the road, didn't necessarily need to get that when he was up 3-1, gave 
game six when you're at home, Jimmy Butler's probably going to put it all out there. Only 10 shot attempts for Jimmy in a game like this feels odd. So wouldn't surprise me if he gets up about 20 to 25 in this next game. So, but guys like Duncan Robinson, Haywood Highsmith, like had some good minutes in the fourth quarter. Caleb Martin is still very good, but also like can be taken advantage of at various points. Uh, Those guys are great. Those guys are, those guys are capable. Like Miami has a, a team of capable role players. They need their stars to play like stars, though. And Jimmy and Bam, if they combine for 30 points in a game, it's going to be really hard for them to win if they can't stop the other team. Miami scores 97 points tonight. Boston scores 110. Like, that's that's the game right there. It's pretty simple, actually. So I do think that if you're a Nuggets fan watching this, then you are wondering, okay, which of these teams makes more sense for Denver to face? Which of these teams gives Denver the best case? Can they match up with a team better than the other? Uh, let's start with Miami. Uh, Miami and Jimmy Butler have had a magical run. There's no doubt in my mind. I have said some things about Miami and Jimmy Butler, not Jimmy specifically, but Miami, over the course of this regular season where I was like, yeah, this team is average. Like, kind of like the Golden State Warriors who proved to be average themselves. I thought the Heat were average. I thought the Heat were fine. I did not see this coming. I thought that the Bucks would kill them. I like kind of like how they did in the uh, 2021, like where it, it didn't feel like Miami had a, a great answer in that year for the Bucks, and yet this year was just a little bit different with Giannis's injury, and then all of the momentum was going towards Miami. Now that's not an excuse. That's of course not an excuse. Like. Milwaukee still could have won that series had they played better, but Miami was just the better team. And then you play against the New York Knicks, and that's not really surprising to me that they beat the Knicks because I've always thought the Knicks were kind of average themselves. They were probably a little bit slightly above average this year, but let's not get it twisted. The With the Bucks kind of crapping all over themselves in that first round and then New York playing the way that they played, like they were always a flawed team, and like RJ Barrett and Julius Randle are not guys that I'm gonna tie my. I'm not gonna hitch my wagon to those kinds of guys. Like that's just that was never gonna be a thing. So the Heat now get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the way that they started off against this series, it felt like a team of destiny. It felt like they were a team that hey, you're just gonna keep hitting your shots. You're just like Gabe Vincent's gonna go off. Duncan Robinson is now functional again, uh, even though you don't have Tyler Hero. And you're still making it work. But when you start removing some of these guys, like uh, Tyler Hero has been removed for the, for the entire time, and I think that's been mostly a benefit to them. But if you're also removing Gabe Vincent, and then I, I think they had Caleb Martin, like he, he got a little bit banged up during the game today. Don't really think it had much of an impact. But if you're also removing, like basically taking out the, the pieces of the Jenga set, like, Eventually, the tower is going to come crashing down because it's just so much pressure on Jimmy and Bam and Kyle Lowry and, and guys like that. Now, can they get it done? Still sure. Like, there, there's no doubt. Like I said, they just need one hot shooting game for sure. But you start to see the tower collapse a little bit when you take out some of these integral pieces to their system. It shouldn't be a surprise that they lost without their starting point guard, even if that starting point guard is Gabe Vincent, who... I think people would probably rank as a bottom five point guard in the NBA, at least a starting point guard. And that's no knock. Like, that's just, 
that's kind of the, the way that they've designed it. So it's interesting to see how this works. It's interesting to see what they're going to, where they're going to go from here. And if they can get this winning game six. Now we've seen uh, Boston and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown throw up all over themselves over the course of these first three games, but also in previous series as well. Like we've seen that. So it's definitely capable of happening again. But I also kind of feel like it, it does sort of feel like Boston has, has figured some things out against this heat defense, against this heat system where you just continue to work the ball around. You find your cuts a little bit better. You're a little bit more precise with the ball. You're reducing the number of turnovers. And then you you kind of cut the heat off from their biggest source of offense, which is in transition and getting the easy stuff. And that's for everybody, but for the Heat especially, a team that doesn't have an elite half-court offense, that's a big deal. So I'm very curious to see what, what they actually end up doing. For the Celtics, if they are to make this comeback, if they, if they actually do this, I think that they are the more dangerous team to Denver. And the reason being is that they're just going to jack up threes. That's That's the team that they are. They are not changing their mentality. If they jack up threes, whether it's a pick and roll and then, and then you're shooting the pull-up jumper over the top of Nikola Jokic and drop, or you're then luring him out of the paint and then kicking out to weak side corners and wings, if you're always doing that, if you're always putting Denver in rotation, then those guys have enough talented shooters and players and drivers that they can score on Denver. Denver's defense has been better. This year, there's no doubt in my mind. And they've played some really talented offenses, including the Phoenix Suns. But one thing that those offenses didn't really do was they didn't jack up threes. They would, like, I think for the Suns, especially, they're last in three point attempt rate. That's by design. Those guys like to work in the mid range, and Denver took advantage of that for sure. With Minnesota, they were average. I think they were like 10th in three point frequency, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, with the Lakers, they're bottom four, bottom five in three-point attempt frequency because they've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're trying to crash the glass. They're trying to crash the paint. And that's not a surprise at all. But what I will say is that the Celtics will spread Denver out a little bit more, kind of like the Golden State Warriors did last year. Do I think that Denver is still well-suited to defeat them? Absolutely. Do I think that Denver should defeat them? Absolutely. I think that Denver's the better team with the best player in the series. And I don't think that he would be as shaken by that trio of Al Horford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, as a guy like Joel Embiid was. Because he's seen those defenses all throughout the playoffs, and he's handled them way better than Embiid. So I do think that Denver is still in a pretty good position, even if it's the Celtics. However, I would still want to face the Heat if I were Denver, particularly because of the three-point shooting stuff. And of the size disparity. When you are a Nuggets fan, you're, you're thinking about how can things work for your best players? How can things be better for your best players? And if you're facing Miami, they don't have a great matchup for Jamal Murray. Because you would normally want to hide a guy like... Not, not hide. You would normally want to keep Jimmy Butler off of a guy like Jamal Murray until the final moments. But if they have Gabe Vincent, a little bit too small for Jamal. They have Max Struess, probably not quick enough for Jamal. And he certainly can't switch on to Jokic. Uh, usually you want a guy like Jimmy on there. But if he has to guard if he has to guard Jamal and switch on to Jokic, Jimmy Butler does, that's going to tire him out even more. 
Now, he's capable of that. There's no doubt in my mind. But I still think that because Boston has more bodies, that they have more players that I would trust in those situations, that they're probably the more dangerous team to Denver. Whether that's actually the case or not, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Like we'll, we'll just have to see what it looks like. But if you have to beat the Celtics in order to win the title, go beat the Celtics. Like if, if they're the team that emerges, fine. That's like... It's why when Denver is asked, like I have seen a lot of guys, like Jamal was asked this on NBA Today, uh, like, hey, would you rather see the Celtics or the Heat? And he says, we don't care. It's it's about us. He's right, because if you get yourself all psyched up to play the Heat and then you're playing the Celtics, you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, it wasn't really what you were expecting. Does it mean you're going to lose? No. Does it mean like your, your mental is a little bit different? Absolutely. So I think that Denver can beat either of those teams. Not really a concern one way or the other. But I do think that with the Celtics and with Jason Tatum, uh, Tatum, I do think, rises to the occasion in a lot of these moments. And it's dumb because in all of the other times during these series, he looks like a pumpkin. <laughs> like, it just, it, I don't really understand it. But he is capable of going off for 46 in a game six, like he did against Milwaukee last year. He's capable of going off for 51, like he did against Philly this year. And that was against some pretty decent defenders. And P.J. Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, attacking Joel Embiid in space. Like, I know that Nuggets fans like to clown Embiid. If he's attacking Jokic in space, he's also going to have some success. Like, I, I think that that's probably where it's going to come down to. So you want to give yourself the easiest matchup possible. And I do think that that's the heat. But if it ends up being the Celtics, you're just going to have to beat them. And and you have the energy, you have the, the matchup advantage, I think, at various points. And at some points, like it's just going to be Jamal and Joker versus Tatum and Brown. And I will take Denver's duo every single day of the week. Like, don't care. Do not care. I think that Denver's duo is better. And I think that they've proved that over the course of this series. So we will see what it ultimately looks like. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about coverage. We're going to talk about uh, the Chris Mannix quote that came out today and what he was saying and, and the, the press tour that he's had to do lately after that. But first, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Make sure to bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook. Superbook is the most trusted name in sports betting right now, and you can use the promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first big bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions, or download the Superbook Colorado app in the app stores. Enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. And roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, can it be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on the Apple podcast side? Or if you're on Spotify, great. That would be fantastic there. 
Uh, also, give this a like if you're in the chat. Really appreciate everybody that stops by to hang out. Uh, liking and sharing this podcast out absolutely helps me out. Uh, that would be that'd be great because as we've talked about local coverage, it's, uh, it's becoming a little important. It's become very important when it comes to actual Nuggets coverage and actual basketball. Because as we see, as Denver gets deeper and deeper into the postseason, some people look dumb. Some people just look a little bit dumb when it comes to talking about the Nuggets, when it comes to actually discussing who they are, who they are as players, who they are as people. Now, sometimes you're not going to get uh, the full story because a guy like Nikola Jokic will try to keep his life private. But there have been people, namely Mike Singer, who have gotten some great content out of Nikola Jokic in interviews. Uh, the DNVR guys, 100 Invisible Threads, their amazing documentary of going to Serbia and being able to discuss like what Serbian culture was like and being able to tell those stories. These stories are available to people. And so when Nuggets fans today hear from Chris Mannix about how the team just isn't particularly interesting, it gets a little bit frustrating. And I can understand why Nuggets fans are a little bit frustrated with a guy like Chris Mannix. Now, I want to try to be honest on this particular discussion because I think that a guy like Chris Mannix has a point from a money perspective. And that's different from what Nuggets fans want. That's different from what Nuggets fans are looking for. And they just don't care about the money. They want to see their team talked about. And I get that too. So we're going to talk about it all. Or at least I'm, I'm going to try to give my two cents on it. And you could take it or leave it. Like that's that's perfectly fine. I understand if you're like, Ryan, you don't know anything about national coverage. I'm like, fair point. Like I, I haven't been in national media. I'm in local media. I have a vested interest in the Nuggets. And the further away that they go from covering the Nuggets, the more people come to me. The more people come to DNVR or Denver Post or whoever to get their Nuggets coverage. So I'm not mad in a lot of different ways. I think that Denver should want respect. And this is kind of where I get a little bit upset about it. So here's what Chris Mannix had to say today. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of it, but I will talk about some, at least the beginning of it. Chris Mannix, quote, frankly, the Nuggets aren't very interesting. Nikola Jokic is arguably the best player in the game right now, but he's not someone that does a lot of interviews outside of the NBA mandated stuff. Jamal Murray, not very interesting. Michael Porter Jr., not very interesting. That's a sentiment that's shared by a lot of people. That's a sentiment that's shared when people compared the Nuggets to the Spurs, when they compare Nikola Jokic to Tim Duncan. They think about it from a number of different ways. A lot of it is fundamentals. A lot of it is the way that you carry a team. A lot of it is that you are a player who isn't going to go and travel and, and like bounce around different teams. And I think Jokic has tried to compare himself to Tim Duncan before. That's who he wants to be. That's who he wants to uh, see himself as. And he's got a great point because he's very similar in a lot of different ways not just from like, hey, I, Tim Duncan was a better defender. There's no doubt in my mind. Jokic is a better offensive player. But what really stands out, of course, in that comparison is the actual like mentality on, I don't need things about me. I don't need things about my team. I don't need it to be my team. I will do the work 
just as much as everybody else. There's nothing that separates me from anybody else. And that is a great mentality that the Nuggets have sort of lived by in, in their franchise over the course of these last eight years. And Jokic has been fantastic there. I think that what Chris Mannix was really trying to say here was that Denver doesn't pay. Denver doesn't pay the bills. And you want to know why I know this? It's because I use the Los Angeles Lakers in all of my titles on my podcast over the course of these last this last week and a half. Once I knew that the Nuggets were going to face the Lakers, I thought, okay, this is actually really good for SEO purposes. This is good for my personal business because there's about to be a flood of Lakers fans in here, people that are going to share out my stuff, be like, hey, what did this idiot say about the Lakers? What did this idiot say about LeBron? Like, you got you to gotta say something about it. And that happens a lot because the Lakers fan base makes up about 50% of the NBA because it's so large. It may not be 50%, but it's, it's a vastly larger fan base than just about any other. It's why you see so many Lakers podcasts. It's why you see so many national folks that grew up in Los Angeles or around Kobe Bryant or uh, Magic Johnson or any of these other Lakers teams. Because there's so much visibility there for those articles and for those authors. You see a lot of people traveling to L.A. for that reason. That's why the ESPN office is across the street from crypto. Like, that's why it's there. It's because it's very proximal and you're in the eye of the public as much as you possibly can be. And everything that ESPN and Chris Mannix at SI and everything there, like, they are trying to be successful and the way to be successful is to get audience revenue, is to uh, advertiser revenue. And the way to do that is to have your download numbers and your listenership and to be as popular as possible. And how do you do that? You tap into the largest audience possible. I get that. And Nuggets fans, I think, get that too. I think they understand why this is a thing. The problem that you have here is this. Making money versus genuinely covering the league, I think, is a really big issue that the league has had. A lot of what the league has put out there, there have been a lot of pressers. There have been a, like, like press statements. There have been a lot of uh, things that have been posted, especially now that the NBA is looking for a new TV deal this offseason. They're trying to sign something because they just signed the new CBA. They are trying to make sure that whoever... Like, like they're, they're looking for maximum viewership so that they can ask these television companies, TNT, ESPN, ABC, uh, Amazon, if you want to get into the Amazon market. Like they're going to ask a lot of these companies, hey, you want NBA coverage? Here's what you're getting and the maximum viewership possible so that they can ask for the maximum amount of money. Now, that's what their responsibility is. Or is it? Is it the NBA uh, is it the NBA's television partners? Is it their responsibility to make as much money as possible or to cover the league as best as they can? Because if those things are disparate, if those things are different at all, then I think ESPN is going to prioritize the money. It's why guys like Kendrick Perkins, it's why guys like uh, Tristan Thompson are out there because you know that those guys are going to generate clicks. Tying yourself to LeBron and Clutch is always going to provide more viewership. It's always going to provide more listenership because you have LeBron stands everywhere. 
People are interested in what LeBron has to say. It's why LeBron saying and, and per, like wondering aloud, basically, if he's going to retire. It's why it took up so many of the actual headlines from Denver. And that's, a, that's too bad because when Denver was going to the NBA finals for the first time in franchise history, the story was about LeBron and his actual retirement. Uh, if that is going to happen, it's not just going to, just going to throw that out there. Like I feel very strongly that LeBron James is not going to retire. I don't have any inside sources on that. I think he's going to want to play with his son because he's laid that groundwork for the entire like last five years, basically something that he thought he could do, something that he wants to do. He's going to do it because it's LeBron James. So ESPN, if they are going to choose between money or genuine coverage of the NBA, they're almost always going to choose money. And Nuggets fans know that. Nuggets fans understand that. And it irks them. And it irks me because I think that this Nuggets team deserves to be covered and deserves to be interesting. Like, I think that they are interesting. I think that they deserve those high viewership numbers that you talk about the Lakers with, that you talk about the Celtics with, whoever. I think that ESPN is and TNT and whoever. I think TNT does a better job, of course, but like I think that they're missing the boat because I think that they would get more viewership if they invested more in these smaller stories. They wouldn't get as much up front, but they would continue to see benefit from it, I do believe. But you have to do it genuinely, and you have to do it. You can't be looking for that quick cocaine hit of hey, look at these clicks, look at these views, look at all of this listenership and viewership that you brought in by talking about the smaller market. Now you can do it more. Uh, talking with various people covering the NBA, covering for ESPN, like you see with these smaller markets, some of these ESPN writers that are assigned to those smaller markets, a guy like Zion Williamson. For example, the Pelicans, there's a lot of stuff about the Pelicans over the course of these last couple years that had more to do than just Zion Williamson. But they would only write about Zion because he was the guy that drove numbers. The only time that you could talk about the Pelicans on ESPN was because you could tie it to Zion Williamson. That's why you're not seeing Bruce Brown stories on ESPN. That's why you're not seeing even Aaron Gordon stories on ESPN. Despite the fact that those stories are interesting, that's just now you're going to see. It's going to be Jokic or Murray. Maybe Porter, but mostly Jokic or Murray. And that's just what it's going to be. That's just what the landscape is. I'm not breaking any news here to people. I know that. And I, I'm just trying to I'm trying to explain to people why Chris Mannix said what he said. Do I agree with Chris Mannix? No. I think the Nuggets are very interesting. I think the Nuggets have so many in-depth stories to tell. I talked about it on last night's podcast. If you missed it, I talked about Denver's journey throughout this regular season. I didn't talk as much about the training camp portion of it where I, I was there. I was. I can tell you how many national media members were there. I was there and I was happy to be there and I covered some good stories. And I think that there was a pretty strong sense from that team that they had something special here. And you could feel it. You could sense it. It was the first time in Michael Malone's like tenure as a Nuggets coach where every single practice of training camp was positive. That never happens. That's insanity. And so like I could sense it. And then I could sense it when I went to Portland 
I don't know how many national members, uh, national media members were in Portland when Jamal Murray hit the game winner on December 8th. I know that December 9th, they did a video on it. They're talking about, is Bubble Murray back? And there are a lot of people that said, no. Now, little did people know that Murray actually, before the bubble, had some really great playoff performances when he was 22 years old. And it's very rare. That's a very rare thing to say about somebody like that. So there are always signs, even before the bubble, that Murray was going to be a great playoff performer. And then he showed up again this year. And people were like, whoa, we haven't ever seen this from the bubble. Like, that was the only time. I'm like, no, that's just not how it works. But if you knew the story, you'd probably understand. It's interesting. And coming back from ACL rehab and averaging 28 points per game in the playoffs, it's pretty freaking dope. It's pretty interesting. And there is a lot to drive there. Jamal Murray should be people's favorite player in a lot of different ways because he's cool, because he's got a sweet game. He doesn't just take threes. He has interesting quirks to his game. Shout out to Tim. And there's a lot to cover with Jamal. There's a lot to talk about. And yet, we're always kind of behind the eight ball with some of this, with, uh, with NBA fans and with national folks. A lot of it is just about putting in the work. A lot of it is just about being willing to take chances and putting in the work. I think that because the Nuggets have now had some success here, national outlets, are they're going to not have to choose between, I called it money versus honor. Like It is honorable to cover the Nuggets nationally because you're telling a really, really interesting story and you're not doing it for clicks. I don't think that it's going to have to be a choice now. I think that Jokic is going to be far more popular than he would be uh, had it just been like, I don't know. Like, it's not just going to be a Tim Duncan situation where Tim was, like, I can understand why people make the comparison between him and Tim Duncan, but Tim was actually boring in a lot of different ways. Jokic is not. Jokic's game is something that we've never seen before. Like it's, it's a crazy thing to have a seven footer who's pirouetting and diming up people and hitting these insane shots and can also put you like under the stanchion, like when he needs to. And there's very few players in NBA history that have had that diverse of a skill set before. He may have the craziest skill set in basketball. And I think that because the Nuggets are now having some success, they'll be able to tell some of those stories, whether it's of Jokic, whether it's of Murray, whether it's of Porter and this amazing comeback that he's had, or other things. Like They'll be able to talk about it a little bit more because I do believe the Nuggets are going to have, if they do win the title, if they do end up having that level of success, I think that it may not be quite like Golden State where it was ready to like go off like a bomb. Like when it comes to Steph Curry and the media market there and how many people there were and the, the popularity that he, he garnered. I can understand why Steph Curry is going to be a more popular player than Nikola Jokic. But there should be a lot of reasons to believe that Jokic could be the next, not, not, not the next, but like similar to Giannis, where you can now put Milwaukee on national TV more, talk about them more, do more in-depth stories on them, and feel like you're getting somewhere. Now, some of this is just trade culture. Some of this is just uh, free agency and trades and 
rosterbation, which is what I call it. Um, it's not, I didn't come up with the term, but if you're messing around with the roster a ton and you have a lot of different options that you can have, then you're probably going to be talked about more by a national outlet for that reason too. So there's going to be this give and, give and take between is Denver actually going to generate those clicks because they are staying together or do they ever break up? And does, does let's say Michael Porter decides that he wants to be a first option on the team as opposed to a third option, which, hey, more power to you. If, if you help Denver win a title, then you get the opportunity to go do whatever the hell you want. So that is perfectly fine. No, no questions here. If he decides that he wants to do that and Denver has to then replace him, maybe they get even more coverage at that point because it's a big deal if you break up a team like that that's won a title. So that to me is where some of this will, will also manifest. But I hope it doesn't manifest in ways just like that. Denver's more interesting than just the actual varying moves that they can make. There is a culture here. There is a culture in Denver sports and in Nuggets basketball that you can talk about and say, this is really interesting and this is really fascinating the way that they've gotten to this point. And it shouldn't be that crazy to be able to say that. It really shouldn't. I don't think that it is and I don't think that Nuggets fans are crazy when they want more than what they're getting. And I don't think that there's a reasonable take that says that Denver shouldn't have more coverage. They don't have to have the most coverage. Nobody's asking for that. But you want people that know what they're talking about when it comes to the Nuggets. Why do, Why wouldn't you? I get it. Of course. Like you want people to be able to talk about the Nuggets and not look like a fool. And Chris Mannix, he looks like a fool. Because there are plenty of stories that you can tell without like looking like a dumbass. So, look, hopefully he's learned his lesson. Hopefully he's able to apologize and tell some good nugget stories. Or maybe he's just going to be blocked out of all interviews. And and maybe I'll get an interview with, uh, I don't know, somebody. And we'll be able to uh, to have a conversation with, with that person. And then you can read it on milehighsports.com. But I just want to make it clear. Denver's kind of like the Spurs. They're not the Spurs. As I mentioned, Jokic is similar to Tim Duncan. Jamal Murray is similar to Tony Parker. I think the way that they play is similar to the 2014 Spurs. But there are tangible reasons why it's different. Jokic and Murray are one of the best duos that we've had. And there's a very like conscious thing here where Denver's kind of half San Antonio Spurs and half Kobe Shaq Lakers. And like... That's dope. That is a cool thing. Denver's their own team. They are a team that is completely different from the teams that have been talked about before them. And they are, it's just a really, really exciting aspect of this where you need new blood. You need fresh blood. There is a changing of the guard that is going on. LeBron James may retire. He probably won't, as I said. But Steph Curry, is he ever going to be the best player in the world again? Probably not. It's Giannis and Jokic right now. And whether it's Tatum, whether it's Jimmy Butler having a couple years in the sun, whether it's Luka Doncic ultimately getting there, Devin Booker, these are the players that they're going to have to cover. These are the players that they're going to have to figure out with. And you can't just throw in the towel if you are a national media outlet. You have to have a better plan than what's going on right now. And I think that they will. I think they'll eventually get there. But this has been a culture shock for them. There's no doubt in my mind that they were not ready for this. They were not ready for Nikola Jokic. 
They were not ready for the Denver Nuggets. And they are scrambling right now. And some of them look better. And some of them don't look great. So we will see what ultimately happens. But I think that is going to do it. I've said my piece. If you have thoughts on how Denver can be better marketed nationally, then let me know. Uh, But hopefully you liked my ramblings. Uh, Michael can hit that outro music for me. Uh, Everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I bet my sound was was screwed up because I've, I've heard a lot of complaints about when the audio starts up again and when the outro starts up that it screws up the actual dialogue. But hopefully it didn't screw it up too much this time. Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out. A little bit of an in-between time, obviously, between when the finals start and when Denver's conference finals ended. But we will just have to see what happens. Should be good. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Hit that like button on the way out of this podcast. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow with Jenna Garcia.